Hey, chickadees, it's Di. Before we get this episode started today, I just wanted to check in with you and let you know that this episode discusses some pretty heavy topics, including body dysmorphia, eating disorders, and disordered eating. If these are sensitive or triggering topics for you, or you just don't have the capacity to listen to them, we get it. And we look forward to you joining us next week. We love you and we hear you. Ladies, this is our time, and it's time to unburden ourselves of unrealistic expectations, including our own. The veneer we see in the media is often not just false, it's unhealthy. And frankly, some of it is just total bullshit. This is Chick Shit, a podcast that goes far beyond tropes, bringing you gritty realness about real-life experiences of today's woman. LJ and I break it down, right here, right now. Welcome to Chick Shit. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of your favorite weekly podcast, Chick Shit with LJ and Di. We do have a guest today. She is one of my favorite people in the world. She is an expert on this topic. She's going to tell you she may not be an expert, but she is an expert. But as usual, I pick the drinks and Di picks the topics. Di, what are we talking about? So today we are going to talk about a topic that I think has affected all three of us who will be talking today. And the topic is body dysmorphia. And for the topic, we are going to use the Netflix original movie To the Bone to break this topic down. And on our episode, as we, as LJ mentioned, we do have a very special guest who has been kind enough to grace us with her presence and help us dive into this a little bit more. Marley is here to join us. So everybody, welcome Marley. Uh, We're really excited to get into a tough subject. One, as I mentioned, does reach a lot of us. And what are we drinking today, LJ, to go along with the topic? So to go along with this topic, I need to make the blanket statement that everybody is a beautiful body. No food is bad food. No alcohol is bad alcohol. I take that back. There are some kids in like backwoods, Tennessee, making something called do shine, which is <laughs> like racing fuel and Mountain Dew. That probably is a bad cocktail. So maybe <laughs> don't do that one. But whatever cocktail speaks to your heart, pour it up. I went with a classic Aperol spritz in my nice, nice. pastel purple brewmate champagne flute that a very sweet friend sent to me. So pour up whatever your heart desires. You deserve it. Now let's talk about my gross obsession. Which is? Anything disgusting. Impacted earwax removal. Dr. Pimple popper. Cyst removal. I like to use my pore vacuum to suck stuff out of my face and send you videos of how gross I am. Yes. Am Am I alone in this? No. No. I love a pimple pop. I love it so much. Say that five times fast. Pimple pop, pimple pop, pimple, pimple, pimple pop. I. It's a remix. I want to see like the white, I guess, disclaimer. If you need to fast forward 30, 30 seconds. 30 minutes. <laughs> if you need to fast forward, a, uh, uh, hit that 30 second fast forward for a couple times. Um, I love it. I love Dr. Pimple Popper. I love the earwax candles. Do you know never like done one? Bridal? I want someone to do one to me. You should do it on the net on our pod uh, prom retreat weekend. Salt. 
And then we and then we open the weir, earwax candle and we unroll it and then we yeah. see what goodies are in there. Marley, Mine's not going to be that great because I obsessively no, clean. I don't know how these work. I've heard people use them, but I, I don't I don't understand them. So, so I'm intrigued. It, yeah, it's like a beeswax candle, and it's like rolled up. And you light the end of the candle. There's no wick. It's kind of like a funnel. It acts as a suction, like a vacuum suction. And you put a you you puncture a hole in a paper plate and like <laughs> stick the candle through it so that you don't have like wax dropping. Yes, on I am your... giggling because of the hand motions you're making. <laughs> you puncture a thing. <laughs> you have to penetrate something <laughs> for sure. <laughs> You, you, and then you like stick the candle through the plate, stick the candle into your ear, and then you just lay down and you let it burn, and that vacuum sucks all your earwax out, and it's amazing. Would you do it, Marley? Absolutely. Yeah. Can I tell you? Okay. Spoiler alert Marley and LJ went to high school together. Let's intro Marley. That's yeah. Totally a good Let's idea. intro Marley. Importantly, because I'm ask, about to ask her a really oddly specific question. Did we room together on senior trip? Yes, we did. Do you remember me obsessively popping my lip zits in the mirror, trying to get one of the ones that was one of the good ones that like shoots out and turns into a spiral piggy curl? Because those oh. are my favorite. <laughs> I don't remember that. I just remember us um, all having to wear your shine down shirts. Yes. Well, <laughs> Checks out. I have pictures of those somewhere. Yes. Everyone had to wear a band t-shirt from Liz. It was a prereq. I was but they were all, in high school. They were all shined down. <laughs> no, I think one of them was Avenged Sevenfold. I have a vague memory of Hannah being in an Avenged Sevenfold shirt. Okay. I could okay. be wrong, though. I had a lot of shine downs. I got to go find those pictures. I need yes. to go find them. Please yeah. do. Please do. I may have some, actually, from uh, Facebook. I'll have to see if I can pull them up. Oof. So someone else that we went to high school with recently joined our chick ship pod squad as our new creative director. His name is Jack. And I went down a Facebook rabbit hole to find all the pictures of us, like from high school to now. And some of them were wonderful memories. And some of them were like, how do I burn the internet? So no one ever sees this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's a picture of us not in shine down shirts, but oh woof look how large I look. well that's a great way to segue into the topic <laughs> i'll do why don't you intro marley so marley a is a wonderful human being she is a mommy of three she has a wonderful husband she is also a registered dietitian and she works with a local organization here in our town in tennessee and just has a pause as my favorite day. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why no one liked me. (laughs) I literally missed first period. (laughs) (laughs) I literally missed first period uh, to have someone in Miss Lutweiler's art class paint Paint that on my face. And she wrote me an excuse note to not get in trouble because she was like, this is ridiculous and I support it. Listen, you guys, we're going to share the picture that's being discussed right now because it was like 80s day at uh, Spirit Week, our senior year, and everyone else was like, side ponies, lots of colors. And I was like, I think I'll be Gene Simmons from Kids. (laughs) Anywho, Marley. (laughs) (laughs) 
I sorry, I was getting into it and then she did the picture. Okay. She's she is a registered dietitian at a local community center here in our um hometown in Tennessee. She has a lot of personal experience with this topic, which we will get into. To get into it, we will give you guys all kind of a, a quick and dirty, just 60 seconds on how we relate to this topic. I will go first. This is LJ talking in case anyone hasn't figured that out. It's normally me talking. Um, <laughs> I have a, a history of crash dieting. I have a history and I still, I wish I didn't struggle with it to this day, but I still do. Binging and purging. I have grown up in a society much like all of you, where a lot of your worth is placed on how you look and what size pants you wear and what size dress you can fit into. And I am not a double zero. I am a six-time Ironman triathlete, but that means nothing because my pant size is too large. So there is how I relate to this. And by the way, the last part was sarcasm. So Diane Marley, if you want to just kind of quick and dirty your relation to this topic... Sure, I'll go. And I know we'll get into Marley's in depth too. Um, yeah, for in a sure. Bit. But I, as we all have, have grown up in the same society, one that when you come home from a holiday or whatever and you've lost weight, you get praised for it. You say, oh, you're, you look so good or oh, your skin and bones or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I did bodybuilding competitions for three and a half years where every ounce of my food was measured where I had to chuck the peanut butter to the back of the cabinet so I wouldn't touch it during my competition times and overindulge because I was so deprived. I have recently started working on my eating disorder of chewing and spitting, which I don't know if that's an official eating disorder or disordered eating. We'll get into that. But I have started recovery. I uh, started that a month ago, actually. Um, I have soaped my food several times um, to prevent myself from eating it. I have also dug out of the trash after I've thrown away, quote unquote, bad food. Um, so I am a work in progress and will probably be the rest of my life. But that's why we're doing this episode, to make you know that what you're going through is is what we have been through. And maybe it's not, but we can relate. Marley, how about you? So I, my struggle really was more in middle and high school. I think that you always do. I think it's always in the back of your mind. So I guess I wouldn't say I don't struggle now. Um, I just push it. Uh, life is worth living more so than living with an eating disorder. Um, and so I, I choose life daily now where in middle and high school, I don't think I did. I chose the eating disorder daily and I was, my medical terminology was anorexia. Um, and I was sent to Arizona for treatment, um, and came home and still struggled for a while. Um, but now I have a daughter and I don't want her to struggle with food and I want her to know that everybody is beautiful. Um, and God made us all different. So I really try to focus on positive body image around her um, and everyone else and my clients as well. Awesome. So that's well, just a short version of my story. Yeah. We're again, we are so grateful to have you on and be so vulnerable to tell your story and hopes of connecting with others or just people that might be struggling as well and knowing that there is hope in whatever you're in right now. And it's not an easy route out as we've all talked about, but there is hope. And 
I think we'll get into that with the movie too and how uh, that relates and how hope is shown there or not shown, all the good stuff. So I will uh, kick us off with our media summary. We'll get into the opening scene and then get going here. So for the media summary of To the Bone, Ellen is an unruly 20-year-old anorexic girl who spent the better part of her teenage years being shepherded through various recovery programs, only to find herself several pounds lighter every time. Determined to find a solution, her dysfunctional family agrees to send her to a group home for youths, which is led by a non-traditional doctor. Surprised by the unusual rules, Ellen must discover for herself how to confront her addiction and attempt self-acceptance. So the opening scene of the movie, we actually see Ellen in one of the recovery centers that's not working for her. She's surrounded by some girls that she's kind of intimidating or um, you can tell that she's not, she doesn't have that open mind. She's not there to recover. She seems like she's there to be forced to recover. And then she basically gets home and we start to understand her family dynamics. It is a uh, it is a non-traditional family that she lives in. We don't see her dad actually throughout the entire movie. We see a stepmom that is doing the best with what she knows how to do but is making a lot of wrong moves. And then we see her sister who is terrified for her and cares a lot about her. We see the depths to which her eating disorder has taken over her life to the point where she's doing sit-ups till her she gets bruises on her back. Um, she's basically a walking my fitness cal- pal when it comes mm-hmm. to calories and fat and carbohydrates and knows how to calculate them all. She's sipping giant diet soda so that she doesn't gain any weight. I mean, there's just a number of things that we get introduced to in this first scene. So let me just like the first thing that you mentioned... I want to see if I was the only one that got this vibe. You see her at the treatment facility pushing. It looks like one of the flatbed carts that you would see at like Home Depot or Lowe's or Costco when you were going to buy some big ticket item, pushing it and running through the halls. And when she stopped, she had made a bet with someone, another person in the treatment facility about something. And my initial thing is she has no interest in recovery at that point. This is kind of a game to her to say, I'm so deep into this that this is now my personality and I'm going to not pay attention to the fact that I am slowly killing myself and treat this as a joke. Was I the only one that kind of got that vibe? I didn't realize I had muted myself accidentally while I was sipping. <laughs> Sorry. I was like, um, mm, you're both very quiet. <laughs> no, 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 no. I picked that, that vibe up too. And I'm wondering, Marley, if you feel comfortable talking about um, how you mentioned going to a treatment center the first time. We see that with Ellen in this movie. The first time that you went, do you feel that you didn't recover because you weren't ready mentally or prepared for that journey? Did you not want to recover at that time? Absolutely. Um, I think I think recovery is scary, first of all. Um, and I think once you start getting those compliments from losing weight and you're looking good, then like the the idea of gaining weight there's going to be no attention or there's going to be negative attention. Oh my gosh. If she's getting fat, she looks, I've never looked at she it looks like so that. good. I've never looked at it as you get hooked on those compliments of you're losing weight. You're looking so good. And your brain being like, if you stop losing weight, that all goes away and nobody cares anymore. Absolutely. Absolutely. But then on top of that, when you get so skinny, those negative compliments of you're too skinny, you can see your bones. 
become positive compliments in your brain. So, you know, people would be like, you're disgustingly skinny. And my response would be like, thank you. I appreciate that. And they're mm-hmm. like, that wasn't a compliment. I'm like, but it is to me. Um, so I think, I think that whole thing, I think there's probably a lot of factors that influence the, I don't want to get better. I don't think anyone really doesn't want to get better. I don't think you understand the significance of this will kill you. Um, cause I don't think I did while I was so deep into it. Like, yeah, I knew it could kill me, but at the time you, you're, you're so miserable and so stuck in getting to that number in your head. And everyone usually has a different number that everything else does not matter. So life doesn't matter. That weight on the scale is the only thing that matters. So I think that's, you know, I don't, I don't know the creators of the movie, what they're thinking or what they're trying to portray, but I think that, you know, she's at that point where, and, and you get to a point where like, oh my gosh, it would be so much easier just to die than to, to fight, to live. In, in the opening scene that Di kind of hit on, she talked about how she essentially turns into a MyFitnessPal and she can tell you how many calories, how many calories from fat, sugar, carbohydrates, everything. So you see her sitting at the table with her stepsister and they make a joke about it. And the stepmom's like, I got a very special dessert for you. And it's a massive cake that they had made to look like a burger. Did your, did your friends, family, anybody ever do something like that thinking it was hilarious and like, maybe this joke will be the thing that like, Oh, no, I think people, well, I think people don't know how to react. If they haven't lived it, they don't know how to react. They do the best they can. Um, nobody ever did anything like that to me. A lot of the, the comment that would upset me is just eat, just eat just eat. All you have to do is put a fork in the food and eat, just eat, just eat. Marley. It's like telling That's an alcoholic hard. to just stop drinking. Yeah. Or, you know, my response to them was, okay, you stop eating for two weeks and then come back and tell me that. See how hard it is for you to not eat for two weeks straight. And mm-hmm. then you can tell me to eat and then we'll have, we'll sit down and have a real conversation. But right now, mm-hmm. like you telling me to eat is not even a valid point in my mind. So you can just walk away. And I want to talk about what you said to Marley when you were like all the thoughts going on in your head like if I recovery being scary and if I stop getting compliments for being small or then the compliments start getting darker and or you think they're compliments I think that what's also you know what that aligns to is it's her identity that's how she Mm -hmm. identifies Mm -hmm. and I think that that's what I was part of what I grieved when I decided to stop competing in bodybuilding was like, that's my identity. I am the fit person. I am the lean person. I am the one that everybody compliments me on having so much discipline and being able to work out so crazy all the while. They don't know I'm spending four hours a day in the gym to eat a thousand calories of tilapia and broccoli for six meals you know it was my identity and then what am I if I'm not a bodybuilder what what am I if it's not about my body and I think that that's something that we all struggle with but we do have to recognize that our worth is so 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 much more than our bodies so you're you just made me realize something I've never thought about and screw you I didn't come here for therapy what is this nonsense (laughs) Cause that was me with Ironman triathlon. I was the Ironman triathlon girl. I was the girl that did that crazy stuff. And in 2019, I towed the line for my seventh one, 10 miles into the run. I was like, this wasn't fun. This isn't fun anymore. I have nothing left to prove. I'm not, no one's making me do this. I'm doing this because I've told myself if I don't do it, people are going to judge me for 
for not living up to the bar that I set for myself. But instead of just saying that, I faked a medical emergency and embarrassed myself. <laughs> and we're not going to get, I'll tell you guys about that off the air, but like, I couldn't just be like, this isn't fun. I'm done. I don't want to finish it. There's no reason I caused a scene. Yeah. And I, I, I think <laughs> you're welcome. That's Dr. Die. No, um, I'll send you the bill, <laughs> <laughs> but I, um, you know, I wanted to talk about too. I don't think her, as, as you mentioned too, people around you don't understand the depth of the depth of things they're not educated so so ellen's stepmom is weighing ellen daily this is before she goes to the new treatment and she's also taking pictures of ellen and saying like do you know what you look like and i think that that's a i mean i wanted to first ask or first say like no that's a whole thing of body dysmorphia we you, I look back on pictures from when I competed and I remember like peak week of competing being like, I, I'm not, I'm not worthy to step on stage. My body is not where it should be to step on stage. I am so far from where I should be. And then I look back today, I'm like, oh my God, you <laughs> like, you're so crazy. And I feel like that's the big part of body dysmorphia. It doesn't matter what you see in the mirror if your brain is not there. Yeah, when you, you see Ellen constantly like checking her upper arm where like for the that that's how much space I have between my fingers and she's wrapping her whole hand around like that was her check because they wouldn't let her, her see the number on the scale that's her validity yeah yeah I mean body dysmorphia is a serious thing um I, you know when at my treatment facility they made us draw on a piece of paper what we thought our body looked like. And then we had a lay in that drawing and they traced our body to show us what we really look like. And everyone that was in that, because we did a lot of art therapy, everyone was in the art therapy class. Not one of us got it anywhere remotely close to what we actually look like. So we were supposed to do just like the outline of who, what we thought our body yeah, looked like. Yeah, like the chalk outline. And then you laid, yeah, you literally laid down in it and then they traced our body. I mean, there was probably like that much room in mine wow. everywhere. Wow. And that's something I won't forget. And I was 15 when I went. So, and that, if you, if you don't mind, where did you end up? Cause I know there's a lot of facilities and I know we're going to ask you kind of to speak to your experience at yours. Yeah. So I went to Armuda Ranch in Wickenburg, Arizona. They've re rebranded. Um, when I went, there was just like an adolescent facility and then there was an adult facility and an, an acute adult facility. So obviously I was in the adolescent facility. There were three houses. Um, now the adults are on where the adolescent facility is. I went back and spoke in 2017. I went and spoke to the adults and the adolescents. There's two, two facilities now and they've kind of rebranded and reshaped, but I was in Wickenburg, Arizona, Ramuda Ranch. Okay. Awesome. How, how did you get to that facility? Would you mind sharing the background story of how you, how your eating disorder started and then what had you ended up in the facility? So I started, I, I guess, limiting food, trying to make myself throw up after eating in middle school. And then in ninth grade is where um, the summer before ninth grade, the basketball teams practice all the time. And when school started, for some reason, we had a condition with the boys soccer team. 
Um, and so I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm having to run with boys. I don't want to be the slowest one. I don't want to look like I'm out of shape. So I would not only run every day with them, but then I would come home and run more so I could stay like up to up even with the boys. And so of course, weight just started coming off of me and I started getting compliments and I was never like a large person, but you know, being a 15 year old weights, easy to easy to lose at 15. And so I just continued to lose weight. And then it was to the point where like, oh my gosh, okay. So I can't gain a pound because then someone's going to say something the opposite way or they're going to be, so it just, that's how it progressed. And then I got to the point where I was afraid to drink water because I didn't want to gain water weight. And so my parents and my doctor I was seeing at the time um, made a decision and I was in Arizona, I want to say two days later, Bermuda Ranch was one of the best had the highest success rate in the world. So people from all over the world with eating disorders came there at the time. I don't know if it still does. And I think that's why my parents decided on that. And it was faith-based too. It was Christian-based. And so, yeah, like my classmates, LJ, probably everyone thought I was going to Bermuda on like a vacation. So I, would I do, get, I do remember people uh, making jokes about yeah. that, but I, I remember yeah. because like we had lunch with you the day, your last day before you went yeah. away. Yeah. Um, but I would get cards in the mail because you could send cards on stuff. And I was like, how's Bermuda? Are you enjoying your vacation? I'm like, this is, Did you ki- <laughs> like I came back and I told my parents that I would never go back to Arizona. I listened to that Jamie O'Neill song. There is no Arizona all the time <laughs> I so much. And I was screaming at the top of my lungs. And I was like, I am never going back to the state. There is only 49 states in America. Arizona is not one of them. It's dead um, to me. Good day. People, yeah. People are like, how was Bermuda? And I'm like, I don't really like any of y'all right now. So, um, so but that's my doctor and my parents were the ones that you don't get to choose when you're an adolescent until you're 18 years old, then you have the right to choose. Two, I have two things in response to all of that. One, did you keep the letters? I actually do have them somewhere. Like, because a, I feel like I sent you some and I'm very curious to see I'll what like 15 year old LJ thought was going to heal you. <laughs> Yeah, I'll have to find them. Um, I did. I kept the letters. They were in like a pillowcase that someone made me at Ramuda, like a, a felt pillowcase. Because nice. um, I, I found them a few years ago at my parents' house. I'll have to look next time I go, but I, they're somewhere. Yeah, report back. Thing two, anybody who's listened to Chick Chip before knows that we are huge advocates for therapy and there are there's no cookie cutter therapy. There's no cookie cutter recovery. Um, Marley went to faith-based. That is what spoke to her and her family. There are places for recovery that are not faith-based for those of you who, you know, Christianity, God is not your belief system. That's perfectly fine. There are places that will cater to your belief system if you have a belief system, but just want a blanket statement, different things work for different people. So take it away. I, and I don't think Ramuda, I don't know if they're faith-based anymore. Like they've rebranded okay. and reshaped, but I mean, they would have accepted anyone. It wasn't, it wasn't like, if yeah. you're not a Christian, you can go die somewhere else. Right. Like they no. Oh no. That's so aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, every, <laughs> they, there were people from all over that were there. It wasn't like, yeah, you're not a Christian. We can't help you. So no, 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 no. I get that. Yeah. But some people like are turned away from it. I understand here, like faith-based and they're like, Mm-mm, mm-mm. No, it wasn't like they weren't like trying to heal me with snakes or like they didn't hit you on the forehead head hitting me and telling me yeah. I was killed no, I mean we just went to chapel once a week yeah and you had to watch like g-rated movies and 
I just, I had a therapist recently who I was talking about some of the worst things in my life. And I made it clear that in this particular situation, faith-based was not gonna, it's all part of God's plan was not the answer. Right. And he kept coming back to it. And I was an adult about it and ghosted him and didn't show up to any of my already scheduled (laughs) sessions. That's awesome. (laughs) Very, very adult. Thank you. I try. (laughs) So going back to the movie, we're kind of at what appears to be the final, like, chance for Ellen's family to try to provide some help for her. Uh, There's a few things mentioned about, you know, obviously these treatment uh, centers are not cheap. They come at a cost for the family. And so they have, you know, repeatedly worked to get her help. And they basically tell her, like, you've got one last chance, like, or else you die basically right like you've you've got to want the recovery her sister is very terrified for her and i don't think that ellen recognizes that she is on the precipice of of potential death um with with where she is and so they they take her to this new treatment facility with this new doctor keanu reeves plays the doctor and lj is already perking up because she thinks he's pretty hot in this movie listen in no (laughs) other keanu reeves movie has it ever done anything for me something about keanu the replacement like him as a doctor (laughs) it's just him trying to help people i'm like yes keanu heal those babies (laughs) no but i i do love like how straightforward he talks to them he doesn't sugarcoat it his initial like his initial meeting with ellen when he's doing like the the physical exam and talking to her he says you do too many sit-ups because he's viewing her spine and there's bruises all down her spine. And she started to say something and he was like, I'm not asking, I'm telling you. And then he brings up the fact that he was like, you're not thin, you scare people. And I think at this point you like that. So like he was not pulling any punches talking to her. And they also went through, They, I think they utilized this scene to really show um, the health, not only from like the physical appearance of someone being so so small, which we learn later in the movie is evidence. Like your body doesn't have to be small for you, quote unquote, small for you to be. Um, yeah, we're, like, we're going to talk about some statistics dealing with that. Yeah, yeah, but. but Stay I tuned. I think they use this medical examination to show some of the side effects that when your body is not receiving enough nutrition, like what can happen? They show her arm hairs growing excessively long to um, try to provide warmth for her body. Making a fur coat. They show uh, a number of different things. I mean, she hasn't had a period in forever, which we know as 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 women, we've got to have a, a certain amount of like healthy body fat in order for our our systems to be all OK. And um, so we learn a few things about that. Did either of you run into that? Mm-hmm. Like your period stopping mm-hmm. as a result of either the eating disorder or disordered eating? I didn't have a period my three years of competing from overtraining to undernourishing. I, mine was mine was over a year. I don't remember the exact link because I mean they always said they didn't know if I would be able to have kids. You know, it was kind of a spoiler alert. Husband. She had babies, <laughs> three babies. There are three, <laughs> but that was one of the things my husband said. Like 
before we got married, you know, I really want kids. So I would love to know if you can have kids. And I'm like, well, I can't, can't tell you that. I'm not TBD. <laughs> we'll have to try. Um, but yes, now I have three kids. So, you know, I, I think it was like, a, I don't know, a year, year and a half. I don't remember. That's not something that I'm like. Yeah. I yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, no, you probably didn't journal that. And we didn't um, have the iPhones with cycle day 387 of no period. <laughs> Cobwebs have, have shot I out. I have like the symptoms of like bloating <laughs> I, and stuff, but I, I know cobwebs. Have sh- I just caught that cobwebs have shot out. Just a little, just like spider. Gotta open my legs. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm derailing us. Derail dollars. Derail dollars. <laughs> I, I have like the, the symptoms of like bloating and stuff, but I didn't actually have like the, the bleeding part of the menstrual menstrual cycle. I know that Dr. Keanu, cause I forget his actual name, but Dr. Keanu talks about like not concentrating on food, like talking about food as a part of the treatment. And he said, food's boring. Was mm-hmm. that a, is that, was that your experience? And is that something that you talk about today with clients? Like, is it not about the food? I know it's about, con- a lot of it's about control, but just curious. Yeah. So uh, I'll tell you my personal pro- or my personal viewpoint and how Ramuda kind of handled it. We weren't allowed to talk about food at all during meals or really any time. Food talk was not allowed at meals. They had certain rules like your sleeves had to be pulled up, hands had to be on the table at all times. They monitored after monitored us for an hour after we ate. If we had to go to the bathroom, the MAs or CMAs watched just to make sure there was no binging and purging, to make sure that we weren't trying to hide food, to make sure we weren't spitting food in our napkins. Um, and then they didn't want it to be a trigger for people. So we would play games during dinner or breakfast, lunch, and dinner, we had three meals a day and snacks. So um, we played games and I don't even remember the games we played. I just remember playing games. And then personal experience, um, I, you know, I work with eating disorders almost weekly, honestly. You know, some of my clients were to the point where like, we can't talk about food or it isn't about food. I don't believe it's about food. I believe it's every, there's other circumstances in your life and kind of how we talked about, this is your identity. It's a coping mechanism kind of. Where, Do you think that's when, what it was for you? I think there were more factors, but yeah, I mean, it is a coping mechanism. I had one of my best friends die in a jet ski accident. My sister went off to college and I started losing weight and was getting attention. And so I think it was just like, you know, in my life, felt like it was spiraling out of control. This is how I can control it. But in the end, it actually controls you. You're not controlling the eating disorder. The eating disorder is controlling every aspect of your life. That is all I thought about. I slept, I had dreams about it. I woke up, all I thought about, I couldn't focus at school. Obviously I couldn't focus because I didn't have nutrients, but all I was thinking about was calories, how I was going to burn calories, the next goal weight. Um, so, I mean, there's no, there's, you're not in control of an eating disorder. That eating disorder takes a hold of you and controls you. So, it, you know, the term, it's not about the food at all. It, I mean, it ends up, you, you got to learn to eat and you have to be your own food the rest of your life. So you have to get to the point where you can talk about food and it not be a trigger for you, or you're still in the depths of an eating disorder. So, you know, I have a client that we were talking about him binging and purging. And I said, what were your, um, what were your triggers this week when the four times that you binged and purged? And he said that they were talking about food and weight around me. And so, you know, I said for, you know, right now, then what, what can we do 
for that not to happen? Can you stand up for yourself and, hey, hey, that's a trigger for me. I'm not comfortable talking about that. Can we switch the subject? Hey, can you walk away? Can you go for a walk? Can you go find someone else in the facility that you're in to go talk and hang out with them about something else? But eventually we're going to have to draw, bring that back in Mm -hmm. and you're going to have to learn to be okay to talk about food. And your weight is always going to be something that you're going to hear in society. It's on every time you turn on the TV, it's everywhere you go. I hate the scale so much. Yeah. Well, I I hate that. The number controls people. Mm -hmm. I have one of my client skills and I've had it for two years now sitting on my desk until she's ready for it back. And she doesn't want it back right now and she's doing fine. But a a number on the scale doesn't define you. There's so many things that define people. So, you know, in my kids, we do have a scale at my house, but I don't know the last time I've weighed because, you know, I had a baby nine months ago. So, I mean, it is still a, it's still, it still can crush you when you get on the scale and it's not what you're used to weighing. Doesn't matter how far into recovery I am. It's still like, this is not where I usually am, but I have to take a step back and give myself grace and just be as you healthy as grew I grew three whole ass humans. Good. You're, you're doing perfect. And one of yeah. them's almost taller than me. So and she's nine years old. She's for sure taller than me at this point. <laughs> and even if you haven't grown a human and you either like it, we are so much fucking more than our bodies. And a number and on the scale. And yeah. a number on the scale. And we have to stop commenting on people's bodies. Mm-hmm. We have to. It PSA, just... you can ask your doctors to either weigh you backwards or yes. refuse to be weighed. Yes. All of my doctors have notes that I will weigh backwards. Do not discuss the number with me. Yes. Do not discuss weight at all with me unless there is a critical issue that you think is directly tied to that. And all of them respect that. I switched primary carriers right after I had Briggs. So he was like six weeks old when I went to, or maybe seven. So my BMI was at nine or something. I think it's all the weight. And she put, maybe BMI it was right is such a five. terrible I, I can get on the website to see, which yes, I don't, we don't do BMI at work either. I, I get on the portal to read my stuff and I had like, there's overweight in my chart and it crushed me. <laughs> I'm obese. Me. And someone three days um, ago asked me if I was pregnant. So I know these feelings. Yeah. I don't know. People are very insensitive, but I mean, she doesn't know me. She doesn't know my story. Um, she was just doing her, you know, I hate putting that on my clients charts, but sometimes for billing purposes, you have to, depending on their insurance company. So, but we don't talk about weight. Um, like we have an in-body machine. So if clients want to weigh themselves or do the in-body machine, we will do that. Some of my clients do want to do it once a month. I encourage them not to weigh in between, but we talk about like whole picture of health. Like let's focus on nourishing our body and being the best versions of ourselves by nourishing our body. And then that weight will come off or those cholesterol levels will help normalize by switching a few things up. But let's look at the whole picture of health and not the size of pants you wear or the number on the scale or, or what society thinks about you. Cause who cares? Because okay. and health is different at every shape and size. Right. Healthy at every size is like a new movement, I guess I could say, um, through the dietetic community. There are some dietitians that are healthy at every size dietitians. You know, I was almost offended when I had another dietitian I was talking to tell me that that was my philosophy after talking to her. She was like, that's kind of mine. And you see the same thing. And I was like, no, I don't. Because, you know, there's there are some instances where weight can not, you know, it can be detrimental yeah. to your health. And so I was like, that is not true, but really what's then when I talked to her about it, she's like, no, you're really focusing on the big picture. You're focusing on like getting people healthy by teaching them a healthy diet and how to nourish their body, but that it's okay to have pizza or cake. I had pizza for lunch today and I enjoyed it and I had a Coke to drink with it. Um, Yum. 
that's not an every meal thing. Cause I know that's not nourishing my body. Not that the weight matters. It's not nourishing my body and giving me the best energy, the best potential. I'm tired when I eat like that. So I don't have the energy for my kids. So there's other factors that influence me to eat healthy. But when we talked about it, she was like, you are definitely healthy at every size dietitian. And I was like, damn, I am, but I'm okay with that. Like I'm, I'm okay with that now. It took me a little while to be okay with that, but I am because I do have clients that weigh pounds and are healthy. Like if you look at their nutrition profile, they're healthy right now. So let's get some of that weight off. If you want to, by eating healthier, by working, being, taking a walk, gardening, doing something you enjoy that burns calories, but you don't have to go run a marathon. You don't have to go run, do an Ironman. If you don't enjoy that, if it's not giving you, if it's not giving you joy, let's find something else that does, but let's be the healthiest versions of ourselves we can be. And let's give ourselves grace when we need to be. Cause you're getting your first cry right now. Thanks mm-hmm. so much. <laughs> I, I think, I, I think that giving ourselves grace is the hardest part of all of it, because you think about like the evil things we say to ourselves all the times we would never say to the people we love, never, never right. in a million years what I say to one of my most wonderful friends, what I say to myself, and I wouldn't even say it to a stranger. So like who, or someone I hate, like, why am I saying it to myself? Yeah. What if we walked up to random strangers and we're like, how pregnant are you? When are you due? Like we would never do that. So why do we even do it? Why do we do it? Why do we make comments about ourselves? Or why There's do we do a lot of people that do do that. Really? Wow. Well, well, I have ice cream in my hand too. Yes, this is an ice cream. Yeah, I've been working on it my whole life. I was like, I just had dinner with my friend and now I've got Fruity Pebbles gelato and you're really raining on my parade. (laughs) I would have picked up a big scoop and put it in my mouth and been like, I would have probably said something not nice. Well, Reggie was there. So I just knelt down and like sucked my face in his stroller. Yes, my dog has a stroller. and was like, make it end. (laughs) (laughs) He ate some of my ice cream. So that's how that went. So Ellen does enter into the new recovery program. Um, She goes to the recovery house and we see a number of things at this house. We see that not only do people have different journeys as a part of their recovery and that um, a few things. One, it's not gender specific. Two, just because you are um, in recovery from an eating disorder does not mean that you are going to weigh less. Three, it can happen at all ages of life. And, you know, it makes me think about like, as I watched this movie, I thought about like, when was the first time that I was aware of my body not fitting in? And it was when I was 12 years old. 12. You know what's sad, though, is it's happening earlier and earlier with kids. Today. Yes. Again, yes. stay tuned for the statistics that I am coming to crush your soul with at the end of this episode. I mean, it's sad at any age. It's sad if you've decided 85 years old that your body doesn't fit. Right. But when we're, uh, as a society, getting our children to think like that at five, six years old, shame on us. Shame on us as adults. Shame on us as as human beings to make, you know, my daughter's asked me multiple times, am I fat mommy? And my define fat, I have to ask her define fat. Cause, Cause you're, you're in your body. God put you in that body for a reason. And he made you perfect in his image. So you're going to be beautiful to me. I mean, you're going to be five foot 11, honey. So 
gonna be taller than me. You're gonna be able to. Take You're gonna to play center for the New York Knicks. Don't worry. <laughs> um, but like, no, that's you know, no, and we're not gonna discuss this. Like, that's why it's so important for me as a mom to make sure that even if I'm having hard thoughts about my body, to never portray that or put that on my daughter, because I want her to be comfortable in her skin always. I remember being in middle school, riding the school bus home and bragging to everyone that I was drinking a Slimfast shake for breakfast and a Slimfast bar for lunch. And that was what I was doing. I was on a diet. Unfortunately, that was not enough nutrition, not enough calories, not enough anything for me. I was a very active child. I played every sport under the sun. So what would happen is I would eat that entire box of Slimfast bars that was supposed to last me for the week in two days. Were you just and then I would have nothing. shitting too with all that Slimfast? <laughs> it tastes good. You know what? Like I know. That's why I was like, I'm on this diet and everything tastes diet. so this good. Is my da- this is my very tall daughter today. Oh, oh my, oh my God. God. I saw all these Where's online in their song count. Oh my God. Yeah. Y'all are the fucking cutest. Would you mind explaining to us the different types of recognized eating disorders as well as breaking down an eating disorder versus disordered eating? Yes, I'm, I'm pretty in practice. I don't like to just put a term because I think that puts an identity on someone too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very careful to be like, hey, That's you're fair. bulimic because then that, that sometimes feeds, feeds the eating disorder. So I like to say disordered eating most of the time, even if they medically have a eating mm-hmm. disorder that we can code for billing and stuff like that. So anorexia would be restricting your food you know, making sure that you're not getting adequate calories in your body, um, severely restricting food. Bulimia is usually throwing up, binging and purging is a form of bulimia. Not all people that are bulimic binge and purge. Some of them just purge. Um, and then there's overeating disorder. Um, I don't feel like I need to explain that one. Consuming more calories than you're supposed to. A lot of times it's thousands more calories than you're supposed to in a sitting. And then there's ednos, which is eating disorder, not otherwise specified. And that's just kind of a combination of eating disorders. Like you don't really have one that fits the criteria or fits society's criteria or medical definition of what an eating disorder, eating disorder is. And then there's orthorexia, which is the newer yes. one. And that's like over obsession yes. um, of healthy eating and exercise and stuff like that. And then you can have over, you know, over exercising too is ding, a form ding, of ding. bulimia. Um, Tell her what she's one, Bob. Years of heartbreak (laughs) (laughs) deep need for therapy (laughs) and then disordered eating i mean i think most most of the world could probably say they've had some disordered eating at times in their life and and what is a normal diet what is how many times are you supposed to eat a day I, i think it depends on who you talk to there's different criteria of how many times you eat a day and what you're supposed to eat and blah 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 but um, I think eating or disordered eating is something that everyone struggles with at times. So just not what society deems as your typical eating. Um, and that's usually what I talk to my clients about like, Hey, I see some disordered eating in your, in your history or, you know, in your present right now. So, so how do you feel about that? What do you think has attributed to that? Talk to me. Um, and how can we fix that? I have a question that was not given to you before we started recording and I just thought of it. So you're on the spot, no pressure. Do you think the insane amount of health and nutrition influencers on social media hawking tummy tea and whatever else and saying, don't eat eat past six, no carbs with dinner, like all of their tried and true nutrition hacks and them like 
posting their beautiful pictures of their beautiful bikini bodies. They're, and I'm using a lot of quotation fingers right now for those of you who never see the YouTube video. They're beautiful bikini bodies, meaning they're Photoshopped images that they put up there so they get more clicks, more likes, more whatever. Do you see an impact of that kind of influencer like situation on making things worse for kids today? Kids, two, adults, really everybody. Two things. It makes it harder for a dietitian because, I mean, what degree do these people have? So anybody that's lost weight becomes a nutrition expert where I've, I've had to go to six years of schooling. I've taken a national exam. I have to keep my credentialing up. So it's harder on us as dietitians to fight all of these. And there's a new diet every day, it feels like. And number two, when you're thrown 7,000 diets a week and there's all these ones, I think it sets society up for failure. It sets us up for these not, I mean, you, you can't even accomplish most of these things. It's, it's grossly, I wonder how many influencers are actually generally happy, generally enjoying life, generally fueling their bodies, how they're supposed to, or are they really starving themselves and are they miserable people? I would love to know statistics on that, but we're putting this. Jack, get us some statistics, please. (laughs) We're putting the skewed picture on, on the internet for adolescents and adults, likewise, to see that's really not attainable for most people, you know? And that's what, when my clients come in and say, I'd like to try the keto diet, is it attainable long-term? No. no. Why are no. we doing it? Why are I've we doing seen it? so many people drop like 50 pounds and be like, I'm keto. And then you get to where you want it to be. And then you eat a bite of bread and you've gained 10 pounds more than you lost. Exactly. And so bread's delicious first, guys. That is, exactly. That's my first question. Is it attainable? Can you do this long-term? If you cannot do this long-term, then I'm going to come. If you think you can do it long-term, I'm here. I'm here to sit there and be your biggest cheerleader. Mm-hmm. Do I agree with it? Not necessarily, but let's try it if that's what you want to do. But if you can attain this long-term, then this is just another diet. This is another fad diet. This is the cycle of diet culture. And I, I want to get you off that train and keep you on the straight and narrow of, hey, I'm going to enjoy food. I'm going to enjoy life. I can have my pizza and Coke, but I'm going to eat healthy and nourish my body most of the time. And I'm not going to feel like I fell off the wagon and just say, screw it. And then go on to the next diet because it's okay. This is called lifestyle modification. This is a healthy diet and lifestyle. And that's what I preach in my practice at work. In, in going off the social media thing too, I think we need to, I mean, we, we do this podcast to talk about media and how things are portrayed and how it's broke down so even there's this line in the movie that talks about like, so they're they're commenting on Emma Stone's body, who is a Hollywood actress and by all natures meets the definitions that we as a society deem thin, quote unquote thin. And they're talking about like how she's bigger or how she's overweight, et cetera. And in Hollywood, so not only has this been perpetuated, for years but also that you you have poor celebrities that are falling into that restrictive culture or i the only way to be in hollywood too is if i restrict and meet these uh size requirements that only these high fashion designers are going to design for so you i i listen to i love the jamila jamil podcast i way it's fucking wonderful she had deborah messing on who deborah messing was saying like her normal sizes and i'm not going to mention that because we're not going to talk sizes on this episode and nor will we ever um but she was saying her normal size is uh you know a 
a few more than what she was on on Will and Grace. And so designers would not design clothes for her on the red carpet. And if you don't get noticed on the red carpet, then you don't make it into the magazines and your career gets stagnant. And so it's just like, then we see all these un like not fair expectations in Hollywood. And that's all we fucking see until you get people like Christian Seriano, who is a new designer in Hollywood. And so oh. fuck that. Oh my God. I love Christian Seriano. Um, his and- dress for BB Rexa when people said, we're not going to design your dress for right. the Grammys because you're this number and we don't go above right. this number. And right. he was like, I got you, boo. So, well, we see all this shit. And so we're like, oh, I have to be that size because Hollywood's that size and that's the standard. And that's just such bullshit because they're not even that size. No, they have to be miserable and starve their bodies to get to that size. And I mean, they're all different heights, body shapes. So, so who is really that size, you know, like, right. I don't know. Holly, Holly, Hollywood is a trigger for a lot of people and Hollywood sets these unrealistic expectations for what the perfect body is. And I mean, I'm sorry, the perfect body is your body, your own body. Um, Yes, it is girl. (laughs) Well, and also you have people that are trying to say that they promote body inclusivity. Let's Mm-mm. talk let's talk Kim Kardashian and her skims line that has sizes extra 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 small to extra 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 large which is great but then you are photoshopping your video to the point where your finger goes backwards because it's you're trying to stretchy shirts back Oh my gosh, they still sell them at like CVS and Walgreens. Everyone has to wear those. Everyone so, wants to worry about size. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So let me, (laughs) I'm going to, for the first time in the history of this podcast, get get us us back back on track. (laughs) No, we have been on track. It's just so everyone earmark this moment, just because I think this is a great kind of tie in to get us back is we, we see one of the women at the treatment facility finds out she's pregnant. It's kind of a miracle baby. She hasn't had her period in forever. She gets her period once boom, she's pregnant. And then we see her have a miscarriage, which we will deal with that in in later episodes. But then we kind of see the reaction of the rest of the house and how they're processing. She was our beacon of hope. And now that's gone. So the answer is smoking hot. Dr. Keanu is like, we're going on a field trip, get dressed, let's go. And he takes him to this art exhibit where it's, it looks like rain's coming down and it sounds like rain's coming down, but it's actually just like a, a, what is it called? Optical illusion, maybe. Thank you. Know. It is called an optical illusion. Our superior guest Marley coming through with the save and says, you know, this is a reminder about life. And you see after they all come out of the exhibit, Ellen goes over and is about to light up a cigarette and Keona comes over and is like, yoink, no ma'am, I'll take that. And she's like, you know, at this point, like, I don't even know why I don't want to get better. Like I can't, I just can't do it. I can't anymore. I've gone too far. And he's like, well, that's bullshit because every time you hear that voice in your head telling you you've gone too far or you've got to do this, or you've got to fit in this size, you say, fuck you. You say, fuck off voice. And then you hear all of the people that were on the field trip behind her yelling, fuck off. Like at some point you have to realize you need to tell your own brain to shut up because your brain is stabbing you in the back at this moment. Mind games and our brains have so much control over us into thinking so many lies. 
How did you finally know you were ready for recovery? Um, I mean, I know my mom talking to me one day, telling me that my mom's mom died when my grandmother was 54. My mom was like my, probably my age, like 30, 33, maybe. And so my, you know, she lost her mom when she was young. And my mom said, watching my mom die of cancer, I thought was the hardest thing in the world. Um, But then I'm watching you slowly commit suicide and there's nothing I can do about it. That was my aha moment, I guess. Uh, I mean, I was tired of living that way too. It's like, you think you're happy and like fitting in a certain size clothes makes you happy temporarily, maybe for five seconds, but then you're back to the misery of, okay, I got to count calories. I've got to go run. I've got to do this where it's a chore. It's not, there's nothing enjoyable about it. It's a chore that you feel like you have to do 24 seven. Um, and so, you know, I, I realized that I was hurting everyone that loved me and, and I wanted to choose life. So it, it takes to the point of getting to the point where is you have to decide is, is life worth living. And if you decide life is worth living, then you're going to have to fight like hell, but you know, nothing in this life comes easy. Nothing worth fighting for comes easy. So that was my aha moment of, okay, it's time for me to fight like hell. And I'm going to fight for the ones who love me because they've been fighting for health for like, they've been fighting for hell for me when I couldn't fight. And so now it's time for me to join them and fight like hell while they walk alongside me in this. So kind of expanding on that question, when you came out of Ramuda, mm-hmm. were you healed? <laughs> no, but their statistics is within a year. You're usually on the track mm-hmm. to recovery. So I came back and I relapsed, but I, I relapsed because they get your metabolism. I mean, they're crank. Listen, when you go, if you ever have to go to an eating disorder facility, there's dietitians there and they know what to do. They know how many calories you need. My metabolism was literally kick-ass then. Like I could have eaten anything I wanted to eat and then been fine with it. Like I had an amazing metabolism. And so I used that in a negative light to be like, huh, I can lose as much weight as I want really quickly. So I came back and lost, like I, I lost a good amount of weight in a month like a tiny, like what my son weighs, my nine month old son weighs in a month. And then I was put back in the hospital, taken back out of school and put a a feeding tube was put in my nose and I had a way backwards and blah, blah, blah. So it was just, I was just thrown right back into the throes of eating disorder. As soon as I came home, like I came home right before Christmas and I was back in the hospital before February. Well, cause I remember you tried to play basketball. I did try to play basketball and uh, my coach at the time was like, listen, like I can't let you play because I can't even let you practice with us because your teammates afraid if they like turn around to box you out that they're going to break a rib because you are so skinny. Um, Teams we play are afraid to touch you because you're so skinny. They're afraid they're going to hurt you. And I just can't have you playing anymore. So I was taken out of basketball after like maybe two games, but also didn't have the energy to really do my best. Like I was a pretty good basketball player, but I did not have the energy to work do anything. Like I was just exhausted all the time. Truly so though, because I had no food in my body to nourish my body, to give me the energy, which is what food is, right? It's energy. I teach my clients that all the time. Food is energy. We have to eat. It would be like trying to go um, on an, on an empty tank of gas and try to make it to Florida from Tennessee. You're not going to be able to do that. So you have to fuel your body. So yeah, I didn't have the energy to do it anyways, but I was yanked right back out of that too. I had big aspirations when I came home. But I thought I could manage eating disorder and my normal life. And that just doesn't work. You choose one or the other. Mm. So in this movie too, Ellen, as we've talked about recovery, is not linear. And she 
finally hit rock bottom. She ends up leaving the treatment, even though, you know, it's her last shot, quote unquote. She ends up leaving the treatment and she hits rock bottom. She's like hiking by herself and passes out because she's so malnourished. And and then when she passes out, she kind of has this like euphoric dream and she kind of comes out of her body and like looks down at herself and, and recognizes like the state of her being and finally says, I'm ready to change. And the ending part of the movie is her going back to the treatment facility and like knocking on the door and giving her stepmom and her sister a hug as she enters into that. So before we get into rating this episode, um, LJ, I think you pulled a couple of quotes as well as some statistics. Do you want to go through those um, before we get to rating? Yeah, absolutely. I will do the two quotes first that I think um, that were really well placed in this movie dealing with the specific scenes they were in, but also taken out of context are just really great blanket statements. Um, So one of them, you know, they're talking about the girl who was pregnant and lost her baby. And essentially you find out she was tied together with a smile, but she was coming undone. It was all kind of like her doing her best. And when Dr. Beautiful Keanu comes in to talk to them, he says, bad things are going to happen. That is a non-negotiable. What is negotiable is how you deal with it. And I think that's a really great blanket statement. Like life is tough. It's going to be sucky sometimes. It's going to have some beautiful moments sometimes. That bad stuff is going to happen. And it's the only thing that you have control over is how you react to it. The other one is when he's in his one of his final meetings with Ellen before she quits and kind of goes on her walkabout before she comes back and decides she's ready, is telling her there is no point, at least not big picture. We don't get to know what it is what. Why we live, why Megan lost her baby, why that girl killed herself, we don't get those answers. Um, so he's just kind of saying all those little things that you're holding on to and being like, but why this, why that, why this? You don't get to know the answers to that. You don't. There may be no answers. Life is random. You've got to keep there. Bingo. You've got to keep kind of fighting for your life and finding why your life is worth living. And to everyone listening, your life is and you're wonderful and we love you. Okay. We will link the website that I am sharing these statistics from when we post it. I will let you guys know that these are some pretty upsetting statistics. If you do not have the mental or emotional capacity to hear them, go ahead and punch that like 30 seconds button. Um, And these are taken for, from the website, anorexia nervosa and associated disorders.org. So they break things down really well. We've got a couple of kind of blanket general statistics, and then they break it down by BIPOC and children. They have a lot of other statistics, but so I'm not reading you a paragraph. We're going to just focus on those three. General eating disorder statistics, 9% of the U.S. population or 28.8 million Americans will have an eating disorder in their lifetime. 10,200 deaths occur each year as the direct result of an eating disorder. To put that into perspective, that is one death every 52 minutes. A couple of BIPOC eating disorder statistics. 
BIPOC with eating disorders are half as likely to be diagnosed or receive treatment. And black teenagers are 50% more likely than white teenagers to exhibit bulimic behavior such as binge eating and purging and 50% less likely to be approached by their primary care physician regarding that. We're going to hit on the children and young adult eating disorder statistics. And if you have a niece, if you have a nephew, if you have a daughter, if you ever think about having children in your lifetime, please listen very carefully to these and think about how we can impact the future generations because we have got to do better, to put it bluntly. 42% of first to third grade girls want to be thinner. 81% of 10-year-old children are afraid of being fat. 46% of 9 to 11-year-olds are sometimes or very often on diets. 35 to 57% of adolescent girls engage in crash dieting, fasting, self-induced vomiting, diet pills, or laxatives. That's not acceptable or okay in any manner. And we all need to do our part to change the way that children view their bodies and children view other children's bodies. Um, Like I said, we will link this. There are a ton more statistics that are equally as heartbreaking. We just kind of wanted to hit the high notes on these. And, and Marley, um, what is something that you would want those who are struggling with an eating disorder or disordered eating or body dysmorphia to know now that you have, you know, committed to a path for recovery, although it's not linear and, um, have made it out on the other side. Yeah. Sometimes it's two steps forward, three steps back. Um, but as long as we continue going forward and making progress, then that's all, that's all you can do. You can only do the best that you can do. I think everyone needs to know that every body, I have clients who tell me that they don't eat because they don't deserve to eat. They're not worthy to eat. First of all, everybody is worthy to eat. Everybody deserves to eat. Everybody has to eat to live. There is not one person, animal, individual in this world that doesn't deserve to eat. And there is hope out there too. There's help out there. There's people who love you. Even if you feel like you don't have family or friends that love you, go find a healthcare professional. I have so many clients, like my clients are, they're like my family. I love them and would do anything in my ability to help them. And that's what I tell them. I'm here to walk alongside you. There, there are people where, wherever you are in America or wherever you are in the world, there is healthcare professionals. It, like I said, if you don't have family or friends that are there to walk alongside you through these tough times and worth is life is worth fighting for, regardless if you don't feel like it is right now, if you feel like you're at the bottom of the bottom, you can only go up from there. If you've hit rock bottom there, there, that's a positive. You can only go up from there and yeah, worth or life is hard. Fighting is hard, especially when you're going through an eating disorder. And if you've been in one for a day or if you've been in one for 25 years, it's tough, but I'm telling you, I've been on both sides and life is worth living abundantly. There's so much life to live and it's so amazing and freeing to not have to worry about how many calories are in a piece of cake or what your body looks like in a swimsuit because I rocked a two piece today with my kids at the lake because I want my kids to think that, Hey, if my mom can do it, I went tubing with them. You know, I want my kids to think, Hey, my mom does it. My mom loves me. She doesn't care what her body looks like. She's able to do these things because she's taking care of her body. And I love my mom. I want my kids to remember this when they get old. So 
for whoever it is in your life, even if it's for just yourself, like life is worth living and who cares what society thinks, who cares about these standards that society places on us because not everyone is five foot four and a half pounds. Yes, I dropped weight, but <laughs> there's very few people in the world. I'm five foot three and I don't weigh what I'm supposed to weigh at five foot three. Um, but screw BMI, screw what the scale says, just take care of yourself. Take care of yourself by nourishing your body with foods that make you happy, but foods that also are good for you and that are life-giving foods. But like I said, it's okay to have a piece of cake or pizza or whatever you enjoy. And you should never feel guilty for that. What I'm taking away from this is you're not a regular mom. You're a cool mom. You're a cool mom. <laughs> I'm, I'm the world's okayest mom. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and also, uh, screw should. Yeah. Just a blanket statement for life. Screw should. Yeah. Um, Wait. Yeah. What is should? Do you... Should have, could have, would have. Like, like, oh, I thought this was like a medical terminology. I didn't know. And I was like, I am unprepared for this conversation. Uh, no. <laughs> like, I should have. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Nope. Um, Check, that checks out. That I back it up. What she right. said. Let's uh, let's rate this episode. Uh, and and yeah, let's rate this episode. So each week we rate the media that we watch in relation to the topic that we discuss. We rate it based on its relevancy, how realistic it is, and how it pertains to our own experiences. I'll kick us off this week, and I'm going to give this movie, this media, a 6 out of 10 chicks. While I think that there are a lot of things that it hits on and man, did it hit me to the core (laughs) and a lot of things, particularly the chew and spit scene at the restaurant. Good God, did that hit me to the core and also made me realize how fucked I have been. (laughs) There are a lot of things that they don't really show the hope part. And so they don't really show also different types of recovery that can happen. There's kind of like the one type of recovery, which I don't, I didn't know enough about. And for somebody who comes into this and sees recovery in in this particular way, it might make you think that that's the only right way. And as LJ, you mentioned, there's not. So I'm going to give it a six out of 10. LJ, what do you give it this week? I am going to stick to my history of using the half chicks liberally. So I'm going six and a half chicks. I think that this movie focused a lot on anorexia nervosa. Um, and I understand that that was what the screenwriter and also the the character who played Ellen had dealt with the most. So that was really what they had the most knowledge on and what they wanted to focus on. But the spectrum of eating disorders and disordered eating is so large that I would have liked to at least see them be a little more inclusive of the things that people go through. Um, binging and purging, bulimia, just obsessing way too much about what you eat or how much you're exercising. Like they, they showed a little bit of all of that, but it was all just kind of the background noise in the scene, not kind of the main point of the, of the conversation. This was also a predominantly white cast. Um, and as you will see, if you go back and read the rest of the statistics that we're going to link, it hits black people, indigenous people, people of color very hard, and they are significantly less likely to get treatment or even be asked about it. So I would have liked to see a little more inclusivity in all of those, just so that a broader audience would have 
been able to see their struggles portrayed. And that very long explanation is why I gave it six and a half chicks. Marley, what are you going to give it? Um, I'm going to give it a five out of 10 chicks. Um, I think there were some good and there were some bad in it. You know, the treatment for me, what doesn't look like the movie portrayed it. Um, their therapy talk, that, that's not happens in therapy. They, like you said, they talked a lot about anorexia. Bulimia is very serious. All eating disorders are very serious. You know, the, the actor that portrayed Ellen, her struggling with an eating disorder, that's worrisome for me because in real life she did. So her having to lose weight for the movie could be a trigger for her. This could be a trigger for some of y'all too. I think that should be a disclaimer at the beginning. This movie, if you are Thinking about recovery or new into recovery, it may not be the best movie to watch at the beginning of your recovery, maybe something later on, because um, it could be a trigger and it could be something that could, that could push you further into an eating disorder. I like how they tried to portray that, you know, her family was not your typical family, but even if you do have the typical family, it can hit anywhere. I, I liked how they tried to portray that, you know, it may not be your first time in, in treatment that you get better. It may be seven, eight, nine, 10, maybe it's 50 times. You don't have to go to the traditional treatment of going inpatient or to a hospital. Sometimes maybe you can get a multidisciplinary approach, a team and do it outpatient as well. Um, but I, I encourage people to get help um, and not try to do it by themselves. I didn't like that. I can't remember the guy's name in the movie, but like his, his hope was Ellen. And first it was dancing, then it was Ellen. Yeah. Then it, yeah. yeah, he, he, he realized he couldn't dance. And so then he puts all the pressure, not only on himself, like that was his, his hope to recovery, but it was kind of a smash to Ellen. Like if you, it was a conditional, you know, if you leave, then like you've, you've get, you've made me lose everything. Um, so I didn't like that, um, because treatment is so intensive and so time consuming you need to care about the other people in your life. Like you've got to focus on yourself. You have to focus on yourself and you have to fight for life for yourself. And then at the end of the movie, I also didn't like how yeah, she was locking on the door. She had her aha moment in the desert, but like, where is the hope? Like, why, why is there not a, a sequel? Where is to the bones too, where right. we're seeing her recovered and we're seeing her with this beautiful life of whatever she chooses to live. And even some of the other people in the movie, why can't we see after of, okay, we saw, hey, she's going to treatment. Well, then the movie ends. So that hope factor wasn't there for me. And I feel like with eating disorders, you if you are going to fight to live, you have to know there's hope. You have to know that no matter how hard it is, that there is hope and that th that recovery is possible. And that, th that wasn't there in this yeah. movie. You didn't see it from anyone. Not any of the characters were like, you never saw a glimpse of their life after treatment. Mm -hmm. So- that's why I think it gets a five out of 10. I think they tried their best. I think they got some of the points, right? Some of the statistics, right? Some of this is how eating disorders work, right? But when it comes to the whole therapy dynamic, the whole actual being in treatment facility, the hope part to me is, yeah. you know, that, that's my biggest, that's my biggest problem with the movie. And I think that that's what we should end this week on is that there is hope and there is a giant ass life to live that's more than how big are my thighs or should I cover up my lower stomach or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All those mean ass thoughts that come into your head. There's so much more than that. There's so much more time to spend than like sneaking off and exercising. <laughs> but you know, like there's, there's just so much more life 
to live. And I mean, sneaking off and exercising because I'm a bit, I, yeah. Yeah. Well, and if people need help, NIDA, National Eating Disorder Association, is a, an amazing, amazing outlet. You can chat with them. You can call them. They will help find treatment. They will help plug you in. Um, so getting online or calling them there, I can give their number. It's 800-931-2237. Um, if you do not speak English, they have translation services available. So inclusivity is part of their, their goal um, because eating disorders do not discriminate. They don't discriminate poor, rich, male, female, black, Hispanic, American. If you're from Europe, if you're from America, they do not discriminate. And so, you know, that's the National Eating Disorder Association is someone that I would encourage people who don't know where to start to reach out to them and let them help you start this journey. We'll, we'll post that on our, um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I can do this too, if you're posting on the YouTube. So, Oh, there. Oh, you can text them for people who yeah. hate talking on the phone. personally. And there's a crisis text line too. So mm-hmm. if they're closed, they have a 24 hour or 24 seven support via text message. So if you just get on the national eating disorders.org that it'll take you to all of that information. And just as we kind of tie a bow on this really tough topic, uh, I know one of the things Marley mentioned is hearing that the, the actress who portrayed Ellen had gone through this. I did want to say that she worked extremely close daily with a registered dietitian to lose the weight to, to portray this character in the healthiest way possible and continued working with them after she was done portraying the role to get back to a healthy size for her body in a healthy way and have kind of that, that outlet for the mental and emotional side of it as well. So from what I have read, it seems like they did this as responsibly as possible as far as the actual weight loss portion. Thank you guys, all you lovely guys, gals, theys, thems, everyone, all our chickadees for joining us again this week. Um, if you have the capacity, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcast, Stitcher. We're on Audible now. So if your grandma wants to listen, she can find us too. <laughs> Um, chick ship pod. If you have a story about struggling with either disordered eating or an eating disorder that you want to share with us or recovery or, or recover. Yes. I want to hear about your recovery. Email me about your recovery and how wonderful your life is now. Cause I need to know. Um, but if you have something that you want to share, send it to us, chick pod at gmail.com. If you do not want it shared with the world is the, if this is just to say like LJ and I, here's this fun thing, put that up at the top. We all know LJ is a skimmer. Just gonna put that spoiler alert out there uh die do we have anything else we need to hit on if you've got capacity to leave us a review on uh, apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast we'd greatly appreciate it if not uh we still love you okay bye okay bye you've been listening to chick shit We hope this episode has pushed you just enough to lose a little faith in the media's veneer and gain some useful knowledge to help navigate the day-to-day nonsense that we women contend with. For resources and general mischief, follow on Instagram and Twitter at ChickShitPod or get in touch by email at ChickShitPod at gmail.com. To help others find the show, please like and subscribe. And if you know a woman who might appreciate two new friends and a good dose of laughter, please share this podcast. Until next time, keep it real.